Good morning. morning. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Now, I I had, uh, it happens every once in a while when I'll say Happy Mother's Day, somebody will say back to me, and you too, and I'm like, oh, thanks, yeah, Uh, but uh, we just uh, are so thankful uh, for you mothers, and and I, uh, I found a tribute, and I wanted to read this to you because I feel like this really expresses the heart of our affection and our honor toward you as mothers. Uh, To those who have given birth with their first child, we want to celebrate with you. But to those who have lost a child, we want to mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with er with little ones every day and wear badges of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who have experienced loss through this past year or recently with a miscarriage, failed adoption, or a child ran away, we grieve with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods, tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us also when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it actually is. To foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance from your children, we wait with you. For those who have lost mothers, we grieve with you. To those who are encouraged to have an abortion, we cry with you. To those who live Through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we thank you. To those who are empty nesters, we rejoice and grieve with you. It's a double-edged thing. To those who are pregnant with new life, we anticipate with you. We have in our midst, men, the greatest warriors in our culture, women, in whom God has placed the spirit of motherhood in. And to all of you, we honor you. Also, my mom's here today, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. Yeah, I have the microphone. So uh, if you're just joining us uh, this week, uh, we are in the fifth week of a six-week series called Plan A, God's Plan, For us, our community, and beyond. And so I want to give you a little bit of recap to catch you up where we are. See, from the beginning of time, God has always had this plan. He's always had this plan to not only put his loving spirit in us, but also to show and demonstrate his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us. So this was the plan from the start. It said that Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. And so when Jesus came He didn't come not only just to die for us, he also came to bring us something new. He came to reveal God. He said that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so now we have God incarnate. We have have God in a body, and we can see who God really is and what he values. And so Jesus challenged the social norms. He challenged what people held dear. And he instilled in us one commandment. He said, that you will follow and be in aligned with the heart of God if you love others the way that I love you. No longer is love measured or devotion measured with a vertical relationship with God, but our love for God would be authenticated by how we treat people. 
And Jesus also came to do something brand new because up until this point, God's uh, covenant, God's relationship with the world was just through the Jewish people. And Jesus said, no, there's no longer going to be division between races and countries and genders. That I am going to bring a new relationship with all humanity. We are no longer going to be defined by anything else except neighbor. And so once Jesus did this, he, he passed on this new ethic. He passed on these new marching orders of what it looks like to be devoted to God, what it looks like to follow God. And so normally when you think of religious practice, you think of what does the law require? What am I supposed to do? What is my list of do's and don'ts? And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to change that. I'm going to shift that to now what does love require? What does my love require? And Pastor Jacob, last week, we started walking in through application, and we're going to continue application today, but Pastor Jacob talked about that love requires interruptions, that love requires margin in our time and schedule to make people feel valued and know that they are valued, that we look past our responsibilities, we look through our responsibilities, not so that we just that we throw them to the side, but we look through them and see the kingdom of God taking place in people's lives. And so we are going to continue uh, the application of what Jesus came to do and what Jesus brought by saying, okay, now, what else does love require? In Jesus, one of the most influential uh, sections of Scripture is what Jesus tells his disciples right before he's arrested and is killed. It's called the Last Supper, and it's found in the a book of John. And in John 15, uh, verses 12 through 13, Jesus lays out this new ethic, this new commandment. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he describes it. He, He describes what this love actually looks like. He says, greater love has no one than this, than he would lay down, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. And so Jesus was introducing a love that was going to be sacrificial, a love that was going to be quantified by giving away, a love that was not going to be just spoken, but a love that was going to be demonstrated by what he did and what he called us to do. And so this is the first thing that I want us to see, is that this sacrificial love that was required of us was demonstrated by Jesus. And that is so so important. Jesus is not standing up, and God is not standing in a distance just saying, you need to do these things because I'm God and I said so. He said, I am going to do everything possible to show you what it looks like to be in alignment with the heart of God, and I'm going to show you how great and to the lengths of the love that I'm going to go for for you by what I'm going to do. And so he tells, he tells us to the disciples, and Just hours later, he's arrested, and the disciples would get a glimpse, although they wouldn't even fully understand at the moment, the length of Jesus' love, is that he would die for them. He would die a brutal death, and he would take the punishment of all the rejection of the abandonment that the disciples had given Jesus in that moment, but also all of the rejection, abandonment, every time that we have stiff-armed God, the entire humanity. He was taking it all on himself. And that was the length of his love. 
Paul in Romans chapter 5 would take it even a step further when he was talking about the length of Jesus' love. He says in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what that means is that while when we were the most unworthy, when we were the most unworthy of saving, Jesus still died for us. This is the sacrificial love of God. It is unconditional, meaning that Jesus would die for us in our worst possible place. And that means that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing can ever separate us from his love. And the love that he had for us was not something that just came in that moment. This was the plan all along. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, even before he made the world, even before he made everything, before he spoke the galaxies into existence, God loved us. He loved you and he loved me. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So even before God made the world, even before we had the chance to mess up, even before we had the chance to turn our back on God, to, to be disobedient, to hurt those around us, or to even hurt ourselves, God loved us. There's nothing like this unconditional sacrificial love. I mean, imagine, um, okay, imagine you're going on a blind date, and you sit down, and all of a sudden, before you even engage in conversation, the person across from you says, I will love you forever and ever and ever and ever, regardless of what you've done or said or anything, I will love you. So what would be the rational response probably in that moment? I mean, creepy, right? Like, run. Oh, my gosh. And I think it's, we laugh, but I honestly, there's so much examples of conditional love that we experience that I think it's hard for us to truly fathom the unconditional love of God. That we see so many conditions, so many checks, so many I will if you will type of love around us that I think it's really hard to grasp that unconditional love. I think the closest that I can personally say that I've ever experienced that type of unconditional sacrificial love is when I saw my children uh, for the first time. And I know many of you parents here can relate, and um, my wife is, is home with the kids right now, but so she's on live stream right now. But Lainey, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you went through to bring to my heart the closest, closest example of unconditional love. And thank you to all of you mothers that have done the same thing, that have brought us a gift into our hearts, that have shown us what it looks like to unconditionally love. You see, when I held my son Judah and my daughter Hannah for the first time, 
there was an unconditional love, a sacrificial love that welled up in my heart. And many of you can relate to this, that you would just die for them before you even knew them, before they had the chance to say those famous words, no, no, no. <laughs> before you knew them, you loved them. And you would die for them. And so what's amazing to me is that God's love, as much as that's a, an example that we can relate to, God's love is so much greater than that. And that it surpasses even what we can know, what we can experience. Paul would pray this in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. He would say, I pray that you may have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete in all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So what's amazing is that this sacrificial love that Jesus is asking us was, was solely demonstrated and perfectly demonstrated on what he did for us. But you know what that means then? That means when we see that love, when we experience that love, just like when we see our kids for the first time, it changes us. It changes us. It's in, his love is so great that when we encounter it, it's impossible to leave unchanged. His love is so great that when we encounter it, it is impossible to leave unchanged. 1 John is a, an amazing book of the Bible. It's all about the love of God and our response towards it. Um, John is a little strange in how he writes. It's very kind of windy. And so, but I want us to rest a little bit in John chapter 4 because I think we get a great picture of not only God's love, but also our response so 1 John 4, 7, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, John is introducing a really big idea here. Not only is John saying that God is loving, so he's, he's not describing God by a character trait. He's actually almost fusing a character trait to the very nature of God, that God in himself, in his core, is love, is sacrificial, unconditional love. So if he is saying that knowing God is, and that God is love, that if, if then... If self-giving and sacrificial love is not at our core, then there's no way we can know God. If self-sacrificing, self-giving love is not at our core, then there's no way that we can know God. 1 John 4, 11-12 says, Beloved, if God loved us, then we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we, if we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, God's love is so great that it compels us. See, there's no, um, there's no necessarily, when you take a lot of um, other religions, even atheism agnostic, there's not really a compulsion to love. You know, I think there's, there's commands to love, 
But a lot of that is selfishly motivated. You know, a lot of it is I love because I'm going to get. I love because I'm going to get out of it. And we see a lot of that. We see conditional love in a lot of areas. But this is different. That God has loved us so much that it compels us. That his love has changed us so much that we, we ought to. That he was willing to go to great lengths of mercy and love for us. So then now we should do the same. We should show mercy. We should be compelled to love others. It made me think of uh, kind of an example here. So imagine if the band had just finished their song and, and my brother Anthony came and brought the podium up here and just set it up here and no one was up here. And like five minutes rolls by and everybody's like, oh my gosh, like what happened? Where is the preacher? Where is Pastor Daniel? What is going on? And then I come stumbling in. So I'm stumbled in, I'm all disheveled, and I'm just like, oh gosh, sorry guys. Sorry I'm running late. I had a flat tire. And when I was changing the flat tire, one of the lug nuts fell off and it just rolled in the middle of 28. And boom, I just got flattened by a semi truck going 65 miles an hour. Whew. It rolled me over. Oh gosh, just flying all over the place. But I kind of got up and, and brushed myself off. And so I'm here. I'm sorry I'm late, but I'm here. What, what, would, you, what would your response be? You're like, you're like yeah, this, I should go to the hospital, yes. And this dude's a liar. Because that, that doesn't happen. You don't get hit by a semi-truck going 65 miles an hour and just walk away unscathed. And so, that is true, unless it is a miracle. There, that is, we ought to throw that in there. But, it's kind of ruining my illustration, but don't worry about it. <clears throat> But imagine, imagine though the semi, so the semi-truck hits you. You're different, right? Obviously. You've been changed. You walk different. You talk, maybe talk different. You look different, right? See, the love of God is exactly like that. See, we can't get hit with the love of God. We can't have the love of God smash into us and overwhelm us and flood us and it not change us. We cannot get hit by such great a love that we just walk away unchanged and unscathed. And it's easy, though. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget the overwhelming love of God. It's easy to just get wrapped up in what's going on in our world. And Jesus talks about, and this is probably one of my favorite parables because it, it convicts me the most. But Jesus talks about a story about the unforgiving debtor. And Jesus sets the court scene. He sets the scene where there's a king that is calling up his debts. And there's a guy that owes trillions of dollars, an, an infinity amount, to this king. And he's like, all right, I'm here. You're going to pay me all my money. And it's obviously not possible. But the person begs, and they beg, give me more time, and give me more time, and I will pay you back, which is impossible. And what this means in this time is that this was a generational sentence for this guy's family. So not only would he be sold into slavery, his kids would be sold into slavery, and their kids, and their kids, and their kids, until the, the debt was paid off. And if it's trillions of dollars, that's just not happening. So this is the situation he's in. And the king, it says he's moved to compassion. Now what's really interesting, if you have the ability to loan somebody trillions of dollars, you didn't get there by being a pushover. And so, but this king is moved to compassion, and he says, get up. 
He says, I forgive you of everything. Now think about the weight that is released there. That not only is that released in that person here, but his children and their children and their children and their children are free. They're set free from this. And so as soon as the person leaves, he was crossing the street and he runs into somebody that owes him $20. And he says, you need to give me my money. And he says, oh, I'm really sorry. I've had a really bad week. Can I give it to you next week? And he says, no. And he grabs the guy by his throat and he throws him in prison. And this audience, Jesus' audience is like, how is that possible? How is it possible that someone that could be forgiven of so much would be unwilling to forgive somebody of so little? And then I look at myself. And I look at my relationships. And I look at my willingness to extend forgiveness or to extend generosity or to extend the love that I have been received in such excess. And man, I see myself. I see myself losing sight of the amazing love that God has for us. And so here's some questions that I've been really wrestling with, that I've been really struggling with. And I want you to know that I haven't arrived when it comes to this loving people the way Jesus loves, this sacrificial love. But here's the question that I keep asking myself. Does my willingness to sacrifice, to give, to serve, and to be generous to others reflect that I really know God or not? Does it reflect that I have experienced the mercy of God? Because 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this, by this we know love, we know love, that he has laid down his life for us. We have experienced it because he laid his life down. So we ought to lay down our life for other brothers, our lives for brothers. If anyone has the world's goods, if anyone has excess, if anyone has anything, if anybody has resources and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And I, I see this gap. I see this gap in my own life where I see the extent that God would love people in my own willingness and ability to do the same. This is another question. Does your willingness to forgive others, honor and serve others, and look out for the interest of others over your own. Reflect that you really know God and have experienced his love. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgive one another. Why? Not necessarily because they deserve it, but we didn't deserve it. And we've been forgiven of so much, so we need to extend forgiveness to others. Does my willingness to forgive others, does my relationship and my my quickness when it comes to forgiveness reflect that I really know God and have experienced his love. Third question, do I place more value on nursing my own wounds than seeing someone be reconciled? Do I place more value on nursing my wounds than to see someone be reconciled? And the fourth one, 
Do I place more emphasis on my own needs and wants rather than seeing what's seeing others impacted by my generosity? Can I be honest? These questions kill me. They really do. Because I know, I know that I haven't done this. And and the, the gap between what God has done for us and what we've been willing to do for other people, sometimes, honestly, it takes me to despair. It takes me to feel like there's no possible way. There's no possible way that I'm ever going to be able to match the love of God. And I think about the story of this rich young ruler that we find in Luke 18, and many of you guys know this story. And it says, Luke 18, 18, it says, A ruler asked him, this is Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This, kind of, this is a question that we all like. We all want to hear. Or we, want to, or we all want to ask God, Okay, God, what do I do? What do I need to do to be right with you? What does the law require of me? What, what does it say, God, that I'm going to make sure that I get all my ducks in a row so that I'm good with you? And Jesus says, verse 20, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he, and he said, the rich young ruler, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I think when we read this verse, immediately we think, okay, that's totally unrealistic. It's totally unrealistic to sell everything that I have and give it to the poor. But I think what Jesus is trying to reveal here is that there's a heart issue when it comes to the things that we've received and when it comes to the, and how attached we are to them and our willingness to give them up to exchange for something great in the kingdom of God. That there's sometimes a, an unwillingness for us to part from something that will inhibit us from giving that or, or placing that in somebody's life to enhance the kingdom of God in their life. And so it says in 23, that when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that, said, how difficult is, is it for those who are, have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And this is I don't want to like, confuse this with a salvation issue, but I want us to understand that, that it's really hard, and you may realize this, that the more we have, the harder it is to be generous. That the more we have, the more we have to technically lose. So with success, it breeds kind of like this, this, this kind of hoarding kind of thing because we, we don't want to lose it, you know, and, and so there's a difficulty when it comes to that. And I think what's, what's amazing is that a third of the world's population lives on $2 a day. A third of the world's population lives on $2 a day. And I wonder, what, how, how challenging would it be for us to step into their shoes and try to convince them why we're so upset about our cell phone bill? And I think that we have been blessed with so much. And this is not a guilt trip. Because you see that they're looking at this, and, and it says that in verse 26, that those who heard this said, well, then who can be saved? 
I'm in despair. This is impossible. And Jesus is like, you're right. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so this is not something that I say, go ahead, sell everything. Maybe if God's calling you to do that, then do that. That's awesome. There's stories of people that sell everything, and then they go to an unreached people group, and that's what God is calling them to do. But honestly, what are you unwilling to detach from your heart for the kingdom of God? Let me phrase it this way. Is the kingdom of God worth it enough to you? Is the kingdom of God worth it to you? Would you be willing to give this up? And then Peter stands up just like Peter normally does and wants to express himself. And he says, well, hey, we've left our, our homes and, and we followed you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, in this day, in the age to come in eternal life. And when I think of the calling of what it means to follow Jesus, I do, I struggle with my ability to do this. And there's a scripture in uh, Philippians 2.13, and it gives me a lot of comfort. It says this, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what's pleasing to him. This means that God is the one that's initiating all of this in you. He's the one that's giving you the power and the ability to do this. So is the kingdom of God really worth it when it comes to this? Is sacrificial love really important? Are you more concerned about laying up treasures for your kingdom or for the kingdom of God? Because I think when we see something where it says, hey, God's going to give us so much more if we give, but I think there can be a twist on that, and we can give to get, you know, we can give to get the blessings of God. And really what Jesus is saying is, hey, when you're giving, you're giving to the kingdom of God, not giving to your own kingdom. Jesus would also say it this way. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And so here, do we trust the economics of the kingdom of God? Do we trust the economics of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is saying these things, that he says, if you want to gain life, you give it away. If you want to lay up treasures in heaven, you give it away. If you want to love others, you love others unconditionally, sacrificially. Do we trust in the economics of the kingdom of God? Because honestly, when I hear this, something wells up in me, and it's fear. And the fear, I think, shows itself in two different ways. The first way that I feel like the fear happens is that I fear loss. I begin to think, I can't give. I can't do that. I'm, I, I, I cannot forgive that person. What if they do that again? I can't go do that. My time won't allow that. And we fear loss. But Luke said 12, 32 through 34, Jesus is saying this. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure 
to give you the kingdom. So that means that everything that God has access to you, all of the riches, all of the blessings that God has access to you, it's his pleasure to give it to you. It's his pleasure to give it to you. So sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, meaning you're not holding things for so long. With the treasures in heaven that do not fail, where there's no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I have a, uh, I have a personal story. Um, and this is really no testament to like anything amazing in me or my wife. This was really by the grace of God, but it, it shifted a perspective for us. So my, my daughter was born in December, and a month before my daughter was born, uh, I was getting my car repaired, I was getting the alignment done, new tires, things like that, because I was like, winter's coming, I don't, I don't want to have any issues driving to and fro the hospital, like I want to make sure we're good. And as I'm driving away from getting my car repaired, my engine seizes, just dies, it's done. So we have a baby in a month, coming in a month, and I have no car, and I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. Am I going to buy a new engine or get a, like a used engine? Am I going to get a new used car? I mean, what am I going to do? How, how, what are we going to do? Fear, worry, all this stuff comes flooding in. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, the Holy Spirit said, give something away. I was like, what? No. Like, I just had a bad thing happen to me. Why would I give anything away? And you know what? He revealed to me that there was a need. And so me and my wife prayed, and we said, all right, we're just going to give to that need. We don't know what's going to happen with our car, but we're just going to give to the need. And honestly, something shifted in our hearts. Something shifted when it came to our situation. We had no fear what happened with the car. To continue the story, we found out that my car had a recall on an engine for exactly the issue that it had. And I got a brand new engine at no cost to myself. Now, I am not saying <laughs> that if you need a new engine, <laughs> this is what you do. But what I am saying is that God, he shifted something in me. Because really, it's not about money. It's not even about the quantity of money. Jesus said that the widow that gave the two mites, the couple pennies in the offering, had given more than the people that were throwing thousands of dollars in the offering plate. It's about the heart. And because she trusted God, she trusted the economics of God. She trusted the economics of the kingdom of God and said, I'm just going to do it. Because Jesus did that for me. Jesus didn't spare any part of his blood when he shed it for me. The other fear that comes to my mind is a fear of judgment. There's a fear of judgment, I think, for not doing the right thing. You see, we can be compelled, I think, to show generosity or show love to people because we're really afraid that God is not going to like us or that God is like kind of keeping tally. And then once we get to the threshold, then, hey, we're going to be good when we enter the kingdom of God. And so we've got to do all these things, and there's a fear of judgment. And I want to rest on this verse a little bit, but... And I want this to sink in. This is in 1 John 4, 16 through 18. It says that we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, that's really important. We have come to know and believe. 
You see, I think before we can show unconditional love, I think we need to come to know and believe God's love for us. Because we're not going to be able to express something that we've never experienced. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. We may have confidence because of what Jesus did and that his love for us was so great and his love for us was so unconditional and his love for us was established before he even created the world. So we don't need to earn God's love. We don't need to be fearful of the judgment that's coming because we're good. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected by love. And so I think this is really important for us to get, is that when we have fear welling up in our situations, we need to revisit the love of God. We need to revisit the love that God has for us. When we feel overcome with worry and anxiety, when we feel like our situations are pressing on us so hard, we need to revisit the love of God because God did everything for us. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. He made us holy and blameless in his sight before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He loved us. He adopted us. We cannot earn his favor. And so we don't need to show sacrificial love begrudgingly because we fear loss or begrudgingly or, or fearfully because we fear judgment. So what does God's love require of us? Now that we've been changed, we've experienced God's love, what does it require of us? It requires us to lay our lives down for others, to be ready and willing to sacrifice our lives for the benefit of other people. So I want to just close with this pretty soon. And practically, I want to talk about what that looks like. Because honestly, when it says, all right, love others the way that I loved you, that's like everybody in the world. How am I supposed to love everyone in the world the way that Jesus loved them? That seems impossible. And so we have these T-shirts so that we got at Orange Conference. I don't know if you guys can see it or not. Yep. Do something you don't have to do. Um, we were joking about this, that we all have different T-shirts. We're not wearing the same T-shirt. Uh, Jacob wore this last week. We're not uh, the brotherhood of the traveling shirt or something like that. <clears throat> so this is m my own shirt. It's not been blessed with the... Yeah, Jacob. All right. It was like a man crush moment. <clears throat> but... I think what we need to do is practically we need to break down God's love around for the spheres of people that are around us. Because Jesus, this is such a cool scene. Jesus is painting a picture in Matthew chapter 25. And he's saying this. He's saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are around him and he's sitting on his glorious throne, meaning, you know, we are in heaven. We are face to face with Jesus. Wow. And he's gathered all the nations and he separated the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, that's just a Jewish reference. It means like the righteous and the unrighteous. And he will place the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, the ones that have been obedient, that have been righteous, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he starts saying this, like, kind of like going on this little deal where he starts talking about how hungry he was. He's like, when I was hungry, you gave me food. And I'm sure people, we're all going to be like, wait, Jesus, we just met you. I don't know what you're talking about. We, 
when did, when did we give you food? And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Jesus, no, hold on. You get, you get thirsty? I mean, how does this work? And he says, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I, we just met. How did I, when did I welcome you? When I was naked, you clothed me. Whoa, hey, where is this going? When I was sick, you visited me. When, when I was in prison, wait, Jesus, you broke the law? What? You came to me. And then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger or welcome you and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. So when we recognize the need, the hurt around us, when we see what's going on in people's situation and we love them sacrificially, when we love, maybe even to our own detriment, we're doing it for Jesus. We are doing it for Jesus and the love, his love is perfected through us. So when the band comes up, I just want to leave you guys with a few thoughts. If, <clears throat> if, if you find it hard to forgive, to love, to serve, to, to be generous to others, you, I don't know your story. I don't know what you've experienced. I'm sure if we sat down, I would hear what you went through, and I would agree with you. But if you find it hard to do that, I would challenge you to go back and visit the love of God. And I would challenge you to ask yourself, do I really believe who Jesus is? And do I really believe what he came to do? And do I really believe what he said about me? Because when we know and we believe that this is the love that God has for us, it changes us. And maybe for you this morning, you would say, I, I don't even know if I've ever really experienced that love in the first place. And there's wonderful news that that love has been waiting for you. That love has been prepared for you. And that love is waiting to flood you and take away every insecurity, every pain. It wants to overwhelm you. And so this morning, if, if that's you, I want to say that Jesus loves you. And in the process of experiencing Jesus' love is just to believe in him and to receive his love. You say, Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe that you died for me, and I believe you've forgiven me, and now I'm in right standing with God. And so I receive you. I receive this overwhelming love. And then you live in response to what he's done for you. <clears throat> so if, if you all would stand up, we're going to go, we're going to worship, but I just want to encourage you that this is something that, that I struggle with every single day, that I have to revisit the love of God, that I have to continue to go back to what Jesus has done for me because I will get really caught up in my own situation, in my own circumstance, in my own world.
And Paul, he prays this beautiful prayer in Ephesians. And I just want to pray this over you right now. He says, I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you have trusted in him. You have trusted in what he said. You have trusted in him. You trust in the economics of the kingdom of God. Your roots will now grow down deep into God's love and it will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high and how deep the love of God is for you. His love is measured by the stars in the universe. From one end of the universe to the other is like the love of God has for you. May you experience the love of Christ even though we all know it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. You will be complete with no fear. You will be able to sacrifice willingly lay down your life to gain it and the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within you, within me, within all of us to accomplish infinitely more than we might think and ask. Glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.